Hello, welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. We want to be your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Well, this segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or contact me directly. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. Well, we have an important show for you today. I know a lot of people in the commercial real estate industry are concerned about the potential tax increases, and we'll talk about a couple of them today. One is a potential increase in capital gains. Uh, in some cases, a uh, big increase potential there. And then also the limit of 1031 exchange to $500,000. So we're gonna talk about the potential impact of those changes, and then to talk about the probability of them happening. And then I will leave you with a, a link where you can easily let your politicians know your opinion either way. Well, please welcome my guest. It's Mitch Rochelle. He's founding partner with Macro Trend Advisors. He's also a visiting research fellow with the University of San Diego School of Business. He's also co-host of the NOPO podcast, and you've seen him on Fox Business, you've seen him on Bloomberg TV, and most importantly, you've seen him on the biggest show in commercial real estate, America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael. I, I go back so far with you. We were actually at like our radio station we used to broadcast from, and I wore huge headphones when we recorded them. So uh, <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll find you that you can run that as B-roll, an old picture of me doing your show ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That uh, you've been with us a long time, and my listeners really uh, appreciate uh, your insight and. Uh, and Mitch, uh, as you heard in the opening, a lot of the uh, investors and, and property owners that we talk to are concerned about the potential increase in capital gains, also concerned about the potential limit of 500K on 1031 exchanges, because right now there seems to be a lot of 1031 money swirling in the marketplace. There also seems to be a lot of sellers who are selling in 2021 while this 1031 money swirling while the capital gains are lower. So I want to get your opinion on the potential of, of those things happening. But before we go there, I want to get your idea on what the, the impact could be of, let's first start with, well, which do you want to start with, the capital gains increase or the 1031 exchange limitations and its potential impact on the commercial real estate market? Why don't we merge the two just for fun, because I think they're related. So uh, 1031 exchange, uh, and I'll give you a little history on that in a second, but 1031 exchange really has been viewed by many out there as some loophole. I hate that word, so I'm using it intentionally, pejoratively, but as a loophole to get around paying capital gains taxes on um, a profit from a sale of an investment asset. But if you go back to the origins of the 1031 exchange, a like kind exchange, meaning I'm selling something and I'm buying something very similar. The rationale for that was that there was a lot of trading of farmland back in, you know, in bygone days, and it allowed farmers or property owners and generally family owned businesses that own property in trader business and they're, you know, in earning a livelihood to be able to trade capital assets, and they didn't necessarily always have to be property, they could be capital assets in general, to trade them amongst themselves um, and not have that gain be taxed, okay? If you actually go back to the single family home market, and this is I think uh, up until the 90s, you could buy a home, sell, buy a home for 
$200,000, sell it for a million dollars, uh, have an $800,000 gain, and so long as you were buying another home, that gain would be swept into the basis of the new home. Okay, so th there's a lot of tax law history of it, but for some reason, the rich getting richer, that's sort of the way it's been spun by many, is somehow a bad thing. And we need to tax that accumulation of wealth. Um, well, a couple of ways of looking at it, and I'm intentionally keeping like-kind exchanges and capital gains together just to, to lay the foundation. For some reason, people ignore the fact when they're, they're bringing up the rich getting richer argument, they ignore the fact that however that asset has been earning, right? So if it's a piece of land used for farming, that land is being used to produce crops that create income whether it's an office building that has tenants and leases and creates a NOI, which is taxable, all of these things are earning assets. And the concept is that, that earnings, those earnings grow over time. Those earnings are taxed at ordinary income rates. Why are we also taxing the appreciation in the asset? Because some of that appreciation has already been taxed by the fact that if the NOI of a property was 100,000 year one and 110,000 years two and 120,000, that appreciation in, in value, it comes from higher income that has been taxed already. So there's this notion that it's all been double taxed. These are all of the arguments that are sloshing around out there. But if we separate them, um, we take real estate out of the mix, right? So if we treat like-kind exchanges, 1031s one way, and capital gains another way, we're sort of separated out real estate. In the prior administration, when Trump was the president, anything that had real estate on it was a third rail because they thought any tax policy that benefited the real estate industry was somehow Trump putting his finger on the scale. So that's now off the table. But the reality is there are many that view the accumulation of wealth through investment as something that is somehow avoiding taxation and we need to tax it higher and the fact that capital gains rates that are considerably lower than ordinary income rates is unfair and we need to tax that um, so when the biden administration pushes forward with i'm presuming infrastructure and they're looking for pay-fors uh, besides using unused COVID money that has already been appropriated, they're going to look to raise corporate income taxes. They're potentially going to look to raise the capital gains tax. And things that have also been on the table is, you know, eliminating like-on exchanges or putting limitations on like-on exchanges. Um, we can get to whether or not I think that's going to happen uh, in a second, uh, if you want to clarify the question for me. But the fact of the matter is, I think these are things that are on the table, but they are highly political and there's going to be tremendous pushback. If you go back to one thing I said earlier, if this all started with farmland and farmers are impacted greatly by a $500,000 limitation on like kind exchanges, whoa, let's look at where farmland is. It is in every important swing state. And I think it's going to be a hard sell in a swing state for something that hurts the farming industry. Yeah, and you think about that's one industry, but you also have the housing, need for housing, right? So, and a lot of investors own rental homes and do exchanges there. So it could hurt affordability and available housing. Um, it also could just really hurt the economy, right? It seems like these transactions involve a lot of renovations and construction and,
you know, a lot of jobs and a lot of people paid uh, in these when these transactions happen, right? Right, and you, you, you put your finger on something really important. If you look at the category for single-family homes as defined by Freddie and Fannie, they're called one-to-four-family homes. So it is very common in America for there to be a dwelling that has two families in it, and the owner owns both, lives in one half, and rents out the other. There's a tremendous portion of the rental property that exists in this country that is not institutional-owned, it is not investment grade. It is not the kind of stuff that, Michael, you buy and sell for your clients. It is a single family home in appearance, but has um, a second story to it or an, an attached piece. Those folks who have a colossal portion of their net worth tied up in that dwelling would be adversely impacted by raising the capital gains rate and eliminating the like kind exchange. And I, unfortunately, that is the most underrepresented lobby. And I'll tell you why. When there were um, eviction moratoriums that were put in place in the last year and a half as part of some of these relief bills, everybody focused on institutional landlords. No one focused on those folks. So if you're a mom and pop owner of a two-family home and you have a uh, eviction moratorium and you can't kick that person out and that person in that house is taking advantage of the fact that there's this thing going on out there and not paying rent even though they're continuing to be employed and there's nothing you can do about it um they it was very obvious to me uh and we did a bunch of segments on fox business about it talking to mom and pop landlords they were completely underrepresented so i don't think that they have a voice in this the realtors um, are a big voice uh, in lobbying, but I don't know that realtors are really focusing on that piece of their constituency. So I, I think you raise a really important point. The problem is who, the way politics work, who has money to spend to lobby Washington? And I think farmers in swing states are carrying a lot of, um, a lot of chips uh, in the negotiation. Yeah. You know, when I look at neighborhoods and properties, big, small, and, and all sizes, and I see the ones that are run down, those are typically the properties that are not good for the market, not good for the area, and they're typically properties that haven't been sold, uh, that somebody's owned them for a long time. Uh, I can tell you as a broker, and a lot of our listeners could, could tell the politicians, and hopefully will, we'll, we'll put a link to easily do that, um, is that when we call on owners to sell, their, their biggest challenge seems to always be, well, uh, I don't want to pay the, the capital gains tax. It's been depreciated over time. I'll have the, uh, the uh, ta depreciation re repayment. I'll have the capital yep. gains, you know, and they just don't want to sell. And, and, and we see the properties that are trading, you know, people are fixing them up to sell them. The people that buy them, you know, fix them up to improve the cash flows. Um, and so it seems to help the, the uh, neighborhood. But the other thing to think about is, you know, if the politicians are looking at that lost revenue if they look at it that way on these properties that are sold and, and they do a 1031 exchange and they look at that number I would think that that number would severely shrink shrink because as our listeners would tell you and, and myself is that there's half the people we talk to or maybe more that just wouldn't sell they're just like right. no, I'm not gonna pay that game but there's this misconception and it's a pedestrian misconception that landlords are rich and tenants are poor Right. It's just 
it's wrong. And um, landlords are constantly investing in their assets. And I think you put a, your finger on a very important issue, which is if um, housing affordability is important, if um, urban renewal is important, you got to create incentives for investors. And, and opportunity zones are a perfect example that the previous administration tried to push forward. But if you want properties in opportunity zones to get those investment dollars, you've got to create incentives to, to get those landlords to do something other than just milk those properties and run them into the ground, right? And sometimes new investors are the answer. Um, but if the current seller is not going to sell because they don't want half of the, of the profits going to taxes because you took away um, and, and the like kind exchange, it's just terrible. The problem is a lot of politicians l will listen to the show and just go, oh, the real estate people are whining again about paying taxes because they're not paying their quote unquote fair share. So um, I, I, I just think that there's an unintended consequence. And, and I'll say it this way, and, and I've used this line a lot on television. If you want to stop something from happening, whatever it is, tax it, okay? Look at what a tariff is, right? If you wanna, if you, if you, a tariff is a form of tax, and if you wanna curb certain behavior, you slap tariffs on it. If you wanna prevent properties from being sold so that the next owner can invest in them and create jobs, then why don't you just tax the current owner and they won't sell it. Um, awful for the brokerage industry, uh, for sure, Michael, but um, I just don't think that people realize that capital going from one hand to another isn't just enriching the seller and perhaps the broker, sorry, Michael, but what it's also doing is it's creating jobs, right? Because when new capital is deployed, that creates jobs. And um, Yeah, we, we, we see it firsthand where, you know, an owner doesn't sell and there's not much going on and because they don't want to pay the taxes on the gain. Uh, and, and usually for us now, the 1031 is still here. It's that they, they can't find a proper replacement property or they're afraid yeah. they can't. Yeah. Um, but then when we see a sale go through, they're, they're renovating. Uh, the sale creates uh, uh, tax revenues for transfer yeah. taxes. The, yeah. uh, you know, the appraisers paid and lenders are paid and loans yeah. created, you know, all these third parties. And then the new buyer is renovating or they're building new right. and there's a lot of construction jobs it's uh, been around for 100 years so it's really yeah. good for the economy right well and let's stick with the single family world for a second because i'm very familiar with that we have a housing shortage in this country let's leave affordability out of the equation for a second but we have a housing shortage we have the lowest level of supply of new homes and existing homes on the market in history housing starts have picked up but it's nowhere filling the demand supply imbalance that exists out there, right? Period, full stop, end of story. So what is the administration doing? They wanna put forward policies that create incentives for first time home buyers, just to get people into the housing market. Terrific, I, I'm all for first time home buyers. All they're doing is creating incentives for more demand. There's no incentive for supply. We need more supply. You wanna get, you wanna prevent housing from going up double digits year after year after year. You need to fix the supply and demand balance. I personally think that every member of Congress should get an A in macroeconomics or they, they can't get reelected because they don't understand the first thing that your Econ 101 professor taught you, which was supply and demand. When we have high demand and low supply, prices go up. 
So if we want to fix the housing affordability problem and prevent properties from going up double digits, we need to create more supply. How do you create more supply? Good policy. Stop taxing the heck out of people when they sell their homes, right? Um, go back to the old tax policy of if you have a gain, you get to roll it into the next home, right? And then more people. I did a segment on Stuart Varney on Fox Business two weeks ago. I must have gotten 10 pieces of correspondence electronically or in my mailbox. I don't know how viewers find my home address. <laughs> That's scary. But um, saying, I'd love to sell my home, but I don't want to pay taxes on the gain. So it's not just the big fat cat real estate developers and office building owners. It's moms and pops and people like you and me who own a single family home who don't want to sell it because they don't want to pay taxes on the gain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's talk about the chances this is happening, Mitch, and yep. get your yep. opinion there because the, um, they want to pay for what uh, college they want to pay for preschool they want to pay for infrastructure which we yep. need to you know there's a lot of we've given out a lot of money through covid right so yep. it seems like to to uh real estate folks or everyone that that money needs to come from somewhere uh so what are the chances that the 1031 will look like a, a prime target I think the 1031 is in the crosshairs. I think the basis step up um, is in the crosshairs. I think that the um, capital gains tax rate is in the crosshairs. But I think that, well, let's, let's go to the Senate, right? You can't pass anything in a 50-50 Senate unless you do it through budget reconciliation. Presumably this is an appropriation, so it gets through budget reconciliation. Um, so... You can do it with a simple 51 vote majority. Um, I don't know how Kristen Sinema think about it. I don't know how Joe Manchin think about it. And I think there are other um, more um, moderate senators out there than we realize. If this was so easy, Michael, this would have happened already because this was an important agenda item for the, for the Biden administration. The majority in the House is more fragile than you think, because the one thing we haven't talked about, and I know we're short on time, but the one thing we haven't talked about is the state and local deduction. And I think that the biggest bargaining chip that the Republicans have is the state and local deduction, because if they pass a piece of legislation and that legislation does not eliminate this, the, the limitation or said that's a double negative. It doesn't bring back the ability to deduct state and local taxes, which disappeared in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It was capped at $10,000. They don't bring that back in some way, shape, or form. I think they have a non-starter. Because let's not forget, 435 men and women who are Congress members of Congress run for re-election every two years. And if you were in a high-tax blue state and you were a Democrat, um, you are going to have a hard time. And look what happened in the last election in California. You saw a lot of Republicans take over some seats that Democrats had taken from them. And I think you're going to see um, you're going to see the state and local deduction be the big bargaining chip. And um, that is something you didn't bring up. But I think in the negotiations is going to be intense. So I think all of these things are going to be very hard to do. If I was to project something. You may see a slight increase in the corporate income tax, um, some sort of a compromise amount. 
You may see some phase out of uh, capital gains favored treatment at really, really high income levels, maybe north of a million dollars. I think the 1031 exchange probably doesn't get touched. Um, but for um, whether or not the capital gains rate changes, but it's it's a it's tough sledding. We are in July right now. I'm assuming this will air in July. Um, the August is a recess, and uh, before you know it, it is October, November, which is T minus 12 months and counting for the midterms, and that doesn't leave a lot of legislative time uh, to get something done. Uh, remember, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act got uh, um, got um, passed at the 11th hour in December. Um, so um, I think the administration's got about six months to make something happen, and I think it's whatever it is going to be heavily negotiated. Well, I wonder how many voters, though, really understand 1031 exchange and might they not informed about it, think that that was a positive thing. Um, um, but think? let's let's. Well, listen, I think the real estate lobby has the loudest voice in 1031 exchanges. Capital gain. I think if they get if it gets merged with capital gains treatment somehow, um, let's remember carried interest is the thing that always seems to get spared, right? Carried interest is taxing the the profits within private equity and hedge funds at uh, capital gains rates as opposed to ordinary income rates. Um, that always seems to get spared. Why? Because the private equity and hedge fund lobby is pretty strong and they support a lot of candidates out there. The question is whether or not the lobby can, those lobbies can protect the 1031 exchange. But I know that lobby is working real hard to leave capital gains treatment uh, alone. Um, there may be some sort of a surtax on gains over a certain amount. That's possible. Um, but um, I, I think 1031 gets swept up into it. At least that's my hope. And the people I'm talking to um, certainly understand it. And I, I, let's not forget, I'll, I'll go back to what I said. Um, the Midwest is the battleground states. That's where all the money is spent. Look, look at how much money is spent campaigning in the state of Iowa. Okay. Have you been to Iowa? There are a lot of farms in Iowa. Okay. Go Google Maps. Okay. And look at this country. Look at Pennsylvania. Look at Michigan. Look at uh, Illinois. Um, maybe Illinois has, you know, gone too blue. Um, look at uh, Wisconsin. These are all swing, important swing, swing states. And they have a lot of farms. And those farmers care about 1031. So maybe the lobby that picks up the 1031 cause is the farming lobby, which is where I started with this segment. Yeah. Well, all right. well, excellent, Mitch. Well, we appreciate uh, your time being on the show and, and sharing your thoughts uh, with our listeners. Michael, always a pleasure. Have a great summer. Uh, look forward to coming down to the 404 and uh, doing this in your studio because it's been too long. Great. Sounds good, Mitch. Have a great day. Thank you for being with us. You bet. Thank you. And uh, hey, thank you for being with us. And as I promised at the beginning of the show, I'm, we will share some links to for you that you can really easily tell the politicians uh, what you think. So I think, you know, 1031 could get looked at as, as not a negative thing uh, by many voters that don't understand how many jobs it creates and how many increase in property taxes and income taxes. There's a reason it's been around 100 years, but it might not look that way to the voting public. So I urge everyone out there to let your politicians know your thoughts. We'll send out real easy links where you can write letters via online with a few clicks to your politicians. Um, and uh, we'll put those links on our social media sites. We'll put it on CREshow.com. If you look at the, for the title of this show, uh, we'll have it out there everywhere that we can. 
uh, please let people know what you think. And let us know what you think, and we do appreciate you listening and sharing your thoughts with us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing, site selection, and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit BuxtonCo.com. By Bull Realty. For proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is Michael at BullRealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success. Expert-level commercial real estate broker training. Cloud Access 1, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.